Welcome to Cyberbytes the podcast. I'm your host Joseph Cooper, co-founder of Aspron Search. Today's guest we have Andrew Morris, CEO and founder at Graynoise. Andrew's passion for the industry explodes in this episode. A fascinating career journey to date, having found himself exploiting computer systems at just the age of 13 to now running Graynoise, a platform that analyzes internet background noise, removing customers' pointless security alerts, finding compromised devices and identifying emerging threats. Hey, I'm so good. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Stoked to talk to you. Good stuff, mate. Good stuff. Are you uh, working from home at the moment? Is that I am. I am indeed. So I'm I'm working from home. I live in uh, in Adams Morgan in Washington D.C. So I've been here for a little bit, and uh, yeah, working from home in the office right now. Nice. Have you, where is uh, HQ for you guys? Have you got a head office or is it all? Yeah, we do. We've got, we've got an, an office in Arlington, Virginia. That's, right. uh, it's, I mean, it's not a big office. We've got basically two, two rooms and on any given day, there's probably five people in the office. Yeah. Um, and then, and then pretty regularly we'll have either like a busier day or definitely like at least quarterly, we'll have like quite a few people in and we'll maybe get another couple rooms, but yeah, Arlington, Virginia. Yeah, nice. Great. Well, look, Andrew, I've been really looking forward to this conversation, mate. Um, You're obviously a big figure all over LinkedIn. I've seen a lot of your content in the past. Um, So before we go into anything, I take it right back to where it all began with all my guests and uh, how you got into the industry, mate. Oh, my God. All right. Well, so I tripped and fell into computer hacking when I was 13. Uh, Basically, the long long and the short is that I'm 13 years old. And for a multitude of different reasons, um, I got into... Tech and I got into cybersecurity, what became cybersecurity, right? And and part of it is that I was kind of like a young miscreant. Uh, you know, I was a I was a teenage, you know, kind of idiot. And uh and <laughs> I I I had a I had a personal computer. I had a computer that was given to me. Um, my parents gave me a computer and uh, I would carry it around with me in my backpack quite a bit. It was a laptop, it was a Dell laptop. And uh and the hard drive like failed because of how much I was like jarring it around. And so I had to Google on the internet when I was, yeah, 13-ish. I had to Google on the internet, like, how do I use a computer without a hard drive, right? And it told me, like, just boot to a Linux live CD. And I was like, cool, what is Linux? And so I install Linux and I'm running, I'm maining Linux when I'm 13. And it's and, and it's and it sucked then and it sucked now. Um, but like the long, the long and the short is that like, so I do that. Um, and, uh, you know, like hacker movies and, uh, and things like this, like, I just thought it was really cool. And I remember thinking like being able to do stuff on, on computers and being able to explore the internet and like find software vulnerabilities and gain access to things and know things that I shouldn't know, read things I shouldn't read, have access to information that I shouldn't have access to. Like that feels like a superpower. It feels like a really valuable skill. And it's a big big, never ending, complex series of problems. And I'm a sucker for that. I love it. So I got, I I was obsessed. I became obsessed. I would spend hours and hours and hours and I reading documentation, RFCs, like, like source code, like all these things just to just absorbed in how computers work together. And uh, yeah. And I did uh, what I now realize were crimes. Uh, and, and, you know, like I, I, I gained access to systems that I did not have authority, authority to gain access to. And then, and then at some point I just remember thinking like, it's exhausting to, um, have to care about getting caught. Uh, it's ex- the, the returns financially aren't great at where I was at. And it was just like, look, this is stressful. I don't want to do this. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. 
So um, I wanted to stay in cybersecurity, but I didn't want to give up popping boxes and like flying through networks because I'm good mm -hmm. at it. And so I, I became a pen tester, uh, an offensive security professional, right? A red team operator. And I, and I, and I got into cybersecurity that way. And then after like a few years, I got obsessed with honeypots because I was like honeypots in cybersecurity. I'm like, there's so many answers here. Like there's so much of what's missing is right here. Like, and I wanted to build honeypots that would beat me as an adversary. I wanted to build honeypots that would beat like all of the, all of the automated systems that were attacking and exploiting the internet. And it just felt like nobody else was really paying attention to it. It was like, it was like everybody had kind of given up on, on that side of, of the, of the industry. And so that's how I ended up in threat intelligence, uh, which I, to this day, don't, don't have, I harbor no passions for the threat intelligence industry. I just want to know what the bad guys are up to. And I want to beat them. I want to be faster than them. I want to be smarter than them. I want to humiliate them. And that's, that's how I got into it, more or less. Love that. Love that. So I read that you've got the biggest and smartest honeypot of gray noise. Is that, is that right? I certainly think so. So part of that's objective and part of that's subjective, right? Like, do we have the biggest, uh, I think so, like any like yeah, at least yeah. commercial company, like the, the biggest honeypot network in the world. And the size actually fluctuates. It's a fun little fact. It goes up and down based on capacity and like what we kind of need to happen at the time. It's very synthetic. Is it the smartest? Yeah. yeah. Love that. Love that. And what are you actually up to at Great Noise then in a sort of elevator pitch? What, what, you, what exactly do you do? Uh, I want to find what vulnerabilities bad guys are exploiting on the internet. And I want to find out when the attacks are going to happen, where they're going to come from, and what they're going to look like on the wire, right? So like, basically what I want to do, here, here's, here's the, 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 the elevator pitch for it, is that in cybersecurity, the concept of radar doesn't exist yet, okay? So like, we're totally in the blind of, of what adversaries are up to. Now, with physical war, right? Most metaphors break down in cybersecurity, but a really good one that absolutely stands out is that in war, physical war, planes come, tanks come, people come, whatever, artillery comes, bomb comes, whatever. You can see that. Like, you can see that this is on the way over. You can, Like, yep, a big bunch of bombs are coming <laughs> or a bunch of aircraft are coming. Cybersecurity, no chance, right? Like, you, you, there's nothing. There is no concept of a radar to give anybody a heads up of like, hey, this thing's about to happen, or this thing's happening right now, or this thing just happened. Like, it doesn't exist we're building that at great right and we have we have a we have a imperfect but better one than anybody else has in the world and i'm all ears for how we can do it even better but yeah we want to detect when the attacks are going to happen what they're going to look like and 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 uh and, and where they're coming from so that people can defend themselves against it yeah i love that i was reading up and i read x server a 25 year old vulnerability is still active is that right why would that be? So the answer is yes. Uh, and like X server, like honestly, so X server, I think it's like TCP port one. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, it's like basically, okay. So that the, you try to connect to somebody else's, uh, you know, very old remote X server to, 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 to basically move their mouse and keyboard and control their display. Why would anyone leave that exposed to the internet? Great question. If adversaries are looking for it, it's paying off. Mm. If, if, if they're not, there's no, there's, 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 it's very unlikely that there are going to be returns. Now this metaphor breaks down pretty quickly, but yeah, dude, there are so many software vulnerabilities that bad guys are seeing incredible returns with to this day. MSO8067, configure, right? Like uh, MS12020, RDP. Uh, there's, 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 Log4j is going to be popping off for the rest of our lives, right? These are, these are software vulnerabilities that like, I mean, 
if the if if the software that they're in is is business critical then that means that the software vulnerabilities are going to continue to exist because the the alternative in many cases is to kind of shut them off shut those services off and if businesses are making money with them then they're just going to they're just going to go on and on and on forever so anyways that was a long answer to say no, yes i love that yeah yes. yeah i love that these well, software so... vulnerabilities are going to be exploited forever and ever and ever and there are some that are yeah upwards of 20 25 years old that's right wow and what's your favorite of all Obviously, my favorite software vulnerability yeah. i honestly um of probably all the celebrities shell shock Shellshock yeah. is one of my, or Heartbleed, and they both came out at almost exactly the same time. They came out within a few months of each other. Shellshock is a vulnerability that uh, takes care of uh, shell expansion. It's like a, it's a, it's a bash system call, like kind of interpolation bug that's very clever and it looks really good on the wire. And then mm -hmm. Heartbleed is just crafty. Heartbleed is like, I'm reading your mind. I'm, I'm, I'm absorbing every single thing that's going on in your brain. What's in there? Are there passwords in there? Are there private keys in there? Are there crypto or cryptographic keys in there? Are there secrets? Are there messages? The answer is yes. So it's a cool software vulnerability. Very cool. Yeah, I love that. So I was having a little look at the, uh, the mass report that you put out. Is that yearly that you you, you yeah uh, well i mean it was the first one so it's only yearly oh, okay cool so it's the first one brilliant yeah it was the first one so it was our it was our it was our, uh, it was our first one but actually it was so popular that like there's pretty much no chance that we're not going to do another one um but yeah so it's annual and we do basically it's kind of a year in review like look this is everything that we figured out over the last year these are the trends at a high level it's kind yeah. of where we think the world's going any guidance that we can give to people that we think is useful you know be careful with this kind of be careful with this kind of software you know, take these kinds of things into consideration. The big takeaway that we really want, like if, if I could grab somebody by the shoulders and shake them up instead of, and, 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 and tell them one thing that I think they would get just as much out of that report as reading it in entirety, it would be more software vulnerabilities are coming out now, okay? And when they, when they come out, when they're disclosed, they get weaponized very quickly. So where you used to have six months to get something fixed, you have a week to get something fixed now. That sucks. You don't like it. I don't like it. But here's the data to prove it. Here are the receipts. So we have to deal with this together. And that's kind of, I think, like the, the summary, the spirit of the report that we release with a whole lot of receipts to prove it. Yeah, I love that. I was on the, uh, the return on investment calculator that you publish on your website. I was keen to just hear from you, like what sort of numbers have been pushed out of that of like what what's has been the biggest saving? Have you got like a, a case study at all that you could share? Yeah. So so honestly, like here's the thing, like the whole story that I'm talking about right now, of like where Gray Noise is going, what we're working on right now. We figured out after many years that like probably the best utility of our data is to find when adversaries are exploiting software vulnerabilities. That's not how Gray Noise started. The way that Gray Noise started and the way that Gray Noise has really built our business historically, where our where our, our focus really has been, has been let's save our customers time and money by telling them the software vulnerabilities that they don't need to worry about, or rather the IP addresses that they don't need to worry about, right? The alerts, the IPs that are attacking, scanning, crawling, everybody on the entire internet. Basically, cybersecurity teams have enough sort of things to worry about, and they always have too many alerts, and not all of them matter. So we want to help our customers save money by telling them which ones are generated by opportunistic attackers, noisy attackers, right? Like people that are just attacking the entire internet. They're not coming after you specifically. They don't care about you. They've never heard about you. They're just scanning you and seeing what happens. You would be baffled, baffled by the amount of time and energy and money, money that big cybersecurity companies, rather big cybersecurity teams at enterprises deploy 
for things that end up being either false positives, opportunistic scans and attacks that, that we're not coming after them specifically, yeah. or just like an unknown internet phenomenon, millions, millions of dollars from individual companies in aggregate, I could not even begin to guess. It'd be billions, the amount of money that's wasted. We save our customers hundreds of millions of dollars right now, easily. Yeah, love that. How are you um, keeping up with all of the emerging threats that are coming up? That is in and of itself an extremely long-winded question to answer. The short, the short <laughs> yeah, we've not got long. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The short version that I can give you is like, look, number one, you need a baseline, okay? Mm. You need to know the expected. What is going on right now on the open internet, right? That's step zero. Step one is then to basically track the news, keep your ear to the ground, maintain relationships with people in the security community, adversaries, yeah. government agencies, private security companies, hacker groups, et cetera. And then you want to try to start to understand the ways that things are trending. And then you have to look at the data and see how it changes over time, right? So you have a control plane, you know, this is what's expected. And then whenever anything new happens, why? Why is this happening? Why is this new pattern emerging? The internet is not like weather. Things don't just happen because of God or science just occurring, right? It is a human being decided to deploy traffic onto the internet in a large way. Why did they do that? What are they looking for? To what end? In what software? Why? What do they do when they find it? These are the kinds of things that we need to answer the questions to. And it's not something that you do once. And it's not something that you do twice. It's something that you do every single day. And then on a month over month basis, and then on a year over year basis to, to try to maintain some semblance of, I guess, uh, labeling or understanding or reason behind why the internet changes the way that it does and which emerging, th which threats are emerging, which attacks are emerging, which ones are, are on the up and up and which ones are on the down, right? And so this is, this is a very, very, very short answer of how we do that. No, I love that. For those that are fascinated by what you're saying and the whole vulnerability landscape and how it is like emerging just in crazy different angles, you're on your website, you are really clear about your hiring process, which you don't really see very often. And it's as if you give like a step by step of how you do land a job. Like it seems like you give all the answers as to how to land a job here. Why was that so important to you to put on like literally all over your website? So honestly, I mean, number one, like the people that we have at the company that, 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 that maintain our products, that build our products, that evangelize our products, that talk to our customers, that work with our customers, this is our number one most important asset that we have, right? So mm -hmm. like that's like hands down easily, like you are just as good as your team. And so from my perspective, that's, that's number one, right? We are just, we are only as good as our team is. So we have to put hiring great people, attracting great people uh, at forefront more than anything else. So then the second thing of that is like, honestly, like, I don't know about you, but like, I'm just thinking about it from my own perspective. I've applied to a lot of jobs. I've gone to, you know, I've gone through a lot of interview processes prior to Gray Noise and like, Honestly, it kind of sucks going into like a black box where you really don't know what to expect. You want to at least be able to prepare, put your best foot forward, things like that. So part of it is just like, well, what's a good interview process? Like what's a good, and, and part of that is letting people know upfront kind of exactly how it's going to go down, a little bit of a blueprint there. Um, 
But then also, I don't know, I mean, from my perspective, um, we also want the right people to self-select in and the right, and, and the people who it's not right for to sort of self-select out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's really no reason, we, we don't, we're not the right company for everybody. We're not the right company for everybody to work at. You, you have to be a, you have to have a certain series of traits to yeah. fit in and to do really well at Grey Noise. And so what better way to do that than to just put that right foot forward yeah. for everybody and we try to be as transparent to everybody as we possibly can about what it's like working here. And so that to me is really important. And again, if you're going to maintain, if you're going to bring in some of the best technical talent in the world, you really need to differentiate from other companies. And I think that we are different. I think we are a very different company. And I think our culture is different. So we're really just trying to put that forward and to, to show everybody, right? To tell everybody, look, this is how we're different. We, we, we do our best to that, but it's, look, it never ends. We can always do better. Yeah, for sure. There's only a few companies doing it. That's why it was really, really did stand out. Like Rob Lee at Drago's was another example. I had him on the pod and he's another man that put, puts that in into his business. Um, cool. I love Rob Lee and I love Drago's as a company and he's a very smart guy. And I appreciate that truly across the board yeah. like in, in any, any company with leaders and anybody who's hearing this, like try, please try to be more transparent with the way that you hire people. The people that you hire will appreciate it a lot and it'll probably make the hiring process easier for you. So you have nothing to lose. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, wow. I've got a few more questions, but we'll, we'll pick some of the best ones. So um, the, the next one was going to be, so obviously as a founder, you would have had a lot of security advice. I went through quite a lot of your LinkedIn content and I saw a post that you put up about some bad advice. And I was going to ask you, what's some bad advice you've been given as a, as a founder? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I have to, that, that's like, that, that's like a profoundly loaded question. Bad advice that I've gotten as a founder. Um, so honestly, it's important to distinguish like advice that you're going to get as a founder, founder advice, uh, and, and what's important as a founder versus what's important as a CEO when you get to a certain stage. So it really depends on kind of the stage of the company, right? Some advice might be good advice for five years from now or, or a hundred headcount from now or, or a hundred million in revenue from now. But like a founder is a knife fight, okay? Like a founder is a bare knuckle boxing match. You're not, there's, there's no, there's no like, you know, you can't think your way out of a problem. You can't, you know, there's, there's no like, it's action and it's bloody, right? And, and it's you versus the cold, hard market realities and, and the absence of your tech. And like, there's a thousand reasons for it not to work. And the only reasons for it to work are the ones that you invent yourself. So from my perspective, like the worst founder advice that I've ever gotten, right, would be like anything that's like, Oh, raise money and figure it out later, right? <laughs> Terrible advice. Yeah. Terrible advice. Um, you know, that, that, that funding solves your problems. It doesn't. Yeah. Running out of cash will kill you, but having cash in the bank will not solve your problems. It actually will not, right? So it's a very important thing to understand. Um, nice. good, good founder advice, revenue solves all your problems. That's generally true. That's generally true, right? Like the customer has the answers, right? And anything else is details. Honestly, here's the way that I like to think about it is that like, truly being a founder is not complicated. Okay. It's hard, but it's not complicated. You have to build something that people want, and then you have to sell it to them. And everything else is details. Everything else is details. And it's all subjective. The only rule is if you run out of money, you die. Right. That's the one thing. If you run out of money, you die. 
And that's it. Otherwise, build something that people want and sell right. it to, right? Don't overcomplicate it. Don't make it any more bizarre than it has to be, right? Just build something that people want and sell it to them, right? What's hard? Building is hard. What's hard? Building something that people want is hard. Even knowing what people want is hard. And what's hard? Selling stuff to people is very challenging. But those are the things you have to do. And everything else is yeah. details. Nice. So I'm going to put the um, that particular post because the comments were amazing. So I'll put that in the show notes. But anyway... Um, I know you're a big fan of AI as well from a lot of the reading I've done. Um, and this will tie in, I guess, to what what was the future for Grey Noise and I guess the whole future for cyber, if you've got a question, like an answer for that, quite a broader question, but just wrapping it up, what, what, what's the future for you guys and the whole uh, the whole ecosystem, I guess? Like imagine you were to go back in time and talk to Johannes Gutenberg or whatever his name was. And, and the renaissance is, hasn't happened yet. And you're talking to a dude about the invention of the printing press, right? And you're like, hey, guy, like, how do you think this is going to change stuff? He's probably not going to say anything about the modernization of Abrahamic religion and of, of like the spreading of information. The long and the short is that we are in at the very beginning of a renaissance. Gray noise is at the very beginning of a renaissance. And I believe the entire world is experiencing the earliest stages of a technical renaissance. Go back in time, watch news reports of people talking about the World Wide Web in the 90s, right? And, and talk, look at how they talked about it. Nobody really knew what to make of this thing, right? Well, it's the information superhighway. I don't know. Apparently, you can, you know, you can, you can browse and chat with your friends. But we know now that the internet was quite a bit more than that. So, I don't want to wax too poetic about this, but what I do want to say is that like, I can't understand enough how profound the impact of AI is going to be on things. And if you don't see that, then, um, you yeah, know, man. just give it, give it a year or two, you will. Um, specifically for gray noise, what is the future? The future is us teaching a machine that can under every measure outperform us, outperform us. And we need to tame that machine. We need to be stewards of that machine. We cannot lie to ourselves and act like we are able to do more and do better than that thing. We cannot, right? This thing can run bigger, faster, harder than us. It doesn't sleep. It can scale infinitely outward, right? Why would we not lean into that as much as possible? So the future of gray noise, from my perspective, how do we get this thing firing better than we can do nothing but maintain it and take a 364 day vacation. That, from my perspective, is the future of gray noise, right? Like, I don't know about you. I love weekends. I love doing nothing, right? And a lot of a lot of what we do at gray noise is automation, rock solid automation in order to allow us to, to be able to spend our time wherever we want to do it. From my perspective, what's the future of AI at, at gray noise? The future of AI at Gray Noise is teaching the machines how to do our own job better, faster, smarter than we would ever be able to do it, right? And we have to do that. And then we maintain it. And then we maintain it and we maintain it. Because a human is always going to have to do that, right? They're not good at everything, but they yeah. are good at very specific things. They will outperform us 
a gazillion times over. They can remember everything. There's no time for them to think, they can recall everything, right? We should just lean into that. It is the future. So from my perspective, 364 day vacation, that truly, that's, that, that's, where I, that's where I want to see us. That's really where I was. I'm real. Andrew, I knew that was going to be explosive, man. Thanks for coming on the show and uh, I'll see you in a couple of weeks, won't I? I know, I can't wait to, can't wait to get a beer with you, man. It's Let's do be it, mate. Yeah, Thanks yeah, for yeah. coming on, mate. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. You're the man. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share with your friends. Or if you'd like to be a guest or hear more about Aspron Search staffing services, please visit www.aspronsearch.com.